to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Rolling with you for the next hour as we kill another hour, Mace. The countdown's officially at 24 and a half. Although hearing that music enter Sandman, all of a sudden I'm in the mood for college football season at Virginia Tech and ah. the team you know, running on the field and everyone jumping up and down, man. That'll be here soon enough. Yes, it will. But we're going to get through the next 24 and a half hours first because I was telling Orlando and DMAC when I came in for the end of the drive, I was telling them during the break, Tonight's the first night, Mace, where I'm like twiddling my thumbs and I'm anxious because every other night since the Nuggets got done with the Lakers, you either had a hockey game or you had the Celtics and Heat looking for the opponent. You had the holiday weekend. You had barbecues, time with the family. Even last night, it was like, okay, the Heat Celtics just wrapped up a a night ago. Tonight is the first night, Mace, where I'm like, am I really going to go home and watch the Rockies again? Like, what am I going to do with myself tonight? There are other things out there. I mean, go for a walk, although it depends where you are in the metro area. I'm looking at the clouds outside our studio here in Greenwood Village and thinking if you're out east, you're probably dodging some storms right now. So, yeah. yeah you're, you're right. There are other things to do in life. I'm not, yeah. not diminishing my life just down to sporting events, but I'm ready for the Nuggets to play basketball. And I, I think too. most fans are too. And you know what? This is the one thing you kind of worry about going into this series because if we're bouncing off the walls waiting for this, what are the Nuggets players? Because Mm. any rhythm that they had, let's face it, you're out of rhythm right now. I believe this is a longer break than you get at the All-Star break. It is. By by three, four days. Right. So... Nobody's conditioned for this, and athletes like anybody else are creatures of habit. And certainly, even though I think it's a you know different sport, different setup, that's where the parallels to the Rockies back in '07 after they swept um, the Diamondbacks in the NLCS. Yep, October. October. They had the long layoff. Boston went seven games to beat the to beat Cleveland in the ALCS, and then you got to game one of the World Series, and the Red Sox looked in form, in rhythm, and the Rockies looked out of it like they had lost all their momentum. But that being said, this Nuggets team is different, and I think their talent eventually will come to the fore, but I do worry a bit about game one. Interesting. Okay, well, now I think we are officially in the – the preview range of the series, which we have been for a couple of days, but I think of game one as well. So we've got tons of sound from media day today that we will get to uh, throughout the next hour here on Denver sports tonight. But let's talk about game one and this notion that, okay, the nuggets haven't played since last Monday. Some say nine days off. I lean more towards it's, it's really like 10 days off. And it, 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 even if you are practicing hard and you're conditioning hard, which we've heard Michael Malone say, do you think that first half tomorrow night looks disjointed? Like, could, could that game be 46-42 at half in just sort of a – because if you're the Heat, you want mm-hmm. to ugly it up. Yes. They're not winning a shootout with the Nuggets. No. The, the Heat want a game where the final score of the winners in the mid-90s. That would be ideal for Miami. It sounds like you see that scenario where, hey, they do go into the locker room and it's 46-42 and we're thinking, 
okay, those nine, ten days off did hurt them. Absolutely, and I think that the benefit the Nuggets have of rest, that's something that usually bears itself out over the long haul of a series. Uh, we see it to just kind of, to use the college basketball example, something you often see in the conference tournaments is when you have a team that has a bye and they play a team that had to play the day before to set up that matchup, quite often you see the lower seed that had to play the day before come out and be more in rhythm. And then over the course of a game where the wear and tear does start to catch up, then you expect a better team to to impose its will. And that's why I look at this game. I think the Nuggets could start slowly, but if it's 46-42, like you say, I think the Nuggets are actually in good shape, even if they're behind by four. The trick is, if you're not in rhythm and the Heat is in rhythm, don't lose touch with them. Don't let them get so far ahead. But, uh, again, I don't think that'll happen. I mean, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm a little concerned for the Nuggets, but I don't think I'm concerned to the level where I say they lose. I just think they might get off to a bit of a clunky start tomorrow night. And the degree of that may determine whether they win game one or not. Interesting. Okay, they did. a few texters trying to point out that, hey, they had a lot of time off because of the play-in tournament. They did. That was technically a week, yeah. um, a Sunday to a Sunday, between the regular season finale and the Timberwolves on April 16th. But, to be fair, you know, obviously a lot of their starters didn't play in those last couple games once they knew they had the number one seed over Memphis. That being said, the Timberwolves are not the Miami Heat. They haven't been through the battles the Miami Heat have been through. The eight seed doesn't matter at this point. No, it doesn't. I mean, they they beat Giannis. They beat Jason Tatum. They beat the New York Knicks, who I know aren't going to get his credit as as much as those other two. But, I mean, Mace, all year, what did you and I talk about um, with hypotheticals with the Nuggets? Well, if they get there and they have to go to Milwaukee, or if they get there and they have to go to Boston, guess what? They don't have to go to Milwaukee or Boston because Miami came out of nowhere on a Cinderella run and did this. So to to dismiss the Heat, which I, I've, I've been fairly dismissive. I've said Nuggets in five, maybe Nuggets in four. But to, to just assume that, oh, well, they had a long time off and they boat raced the Timberwolves, so they'll do the same to the Heat. I can't put the Timberwolves and the Heat in the same breath. I mean, the reason why they're an eight seed is you could say they underachieved this year. But this is a Miami Heat team that has a fair amount of parts left from when they went to the NBA Finals in the bubble back in 2020. I mean, I think one thing this postseason has done for both the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets is it's legitimized what they did in the bubble. Because for the previous couple of postseasons, you could look at what they did and say that was kind of the anomaly. Anomaly. Even the Lakers, you know, not matching what they did winning the title in the bubble. Well, that's, I think you kind of throw that all out the window now and say that what what the Heat did three years ago is something that helped set up this run where now they are back in the NBA Finals for the second time in, in four postseasons. And um, and this and, and are, you can say, battle-tested at this level in a way that the Nuggets aren't yet. That being said, who has the talent advantage? Denver. Exactly. And, and I would argue a little bit with you that the resumes are... They're not that far apart off of who they've beat. I think the Timberwolves and the Knicks were the two weakest opponents. I think the Suns with Durant and Booker, I heard James Maryland say with Zach By today, he thinks the Suns would have won the NBA title. They're, they're the second best team in the NBA. I don't necessarily disagree with that assessment. 
and the Lakers still have LeBron and AD. I know they underachieved as well, but yes, beating Milwaukee and Boston is impressive, but it's it's to me in the same ballpark as beating Phoenix and LA, isn't it? Especially because Giannis was hurt for two and a half games. It's in the same ballpark, but I'm just viewing it over the course of the of the last four years and say, okay, who's more accomplished? I mean, the, the Heat have been, okay. He so been, you're going bigger picture. I'm, I'm going, going I'm, these actual. I'm playoffs. going. Bi- I'm going bigger picture, and that this is the third time in the last four years they made at least the conference finals, and the second time in the last four they made the NBA finals. What What do you think you know, about my premise though of whose road to the finals was tougher? I think. Uh, See, that is kind of a coin flip. That is a coin flip. Um, I'd say slight edge to Miami, but only slight. I think that they they caught they they caught the Milwaukee Bucks napping a bit, and I think um, and I think that and, and again that's the other thing with that series, and this is where the experience that the Heat has helped them is. You know that was the second. That was the third time they had faced the Bucks in the postseason in the last four p- playoffs, right? Yep. They beat them in the conference semifinals in the bubble. They got swept by them in twenty one when the Bucks went all the way, and then they took them out in five th- this year. So I think there's, you know, there's some fam- there was familiarity that I think helped the Miami Heat, and again that whole thing of being a little bit more battle tested, at least going in. I think the Nuggets maybe you can say now they've. They've come close. They're not quite at the Heat's level in terms of their deep runs, but they're right there. And again, I think the talent advantage that the Nuggets have is something that sways it back in, in Denver's corner. But like you say, Miami wants to muck this up. Yes. That's their best chance. Like we say in football, the more variables, the better, right? For the worst team. The the weather being worse, the better, right? Flags coming out left and right, the better. Anything to take the prettiness out of the game in football gives an underdog the chance. Mm-hmm. Anything that he can do similar to that, like are they going to try to get Nicole Jokic in foul trouble? Of course they are. They'd be crazy to not try to get Nicole Jokic in foul trouble. That's the, probably their best strategy to a win. Uh, no running up and down if you're Miami. Mm-hmm. Long 24-second possessions every time up in the court. And like I said, if Miami lets the Nuggets get to 100 and call it 10 points, they won't win a game in this series. Miami's best-case scenario is to win games 102-98, somewhere in that stratosphere, because if they try to run with the Nuggets, I, and I, we're going to play the clip of Spolster on the altitude today because that was really interesting, mm-hmm. but if they try to run with them, the seven-game series against the Celtics is going to catch up with them. The fact that they never got to go home after coming from Boston straight to Denver after Game 7 is going to catch up to them. While the Nuggets have been sitting here and Jokic has been at the pool, Miami would be insane to get in any sort of track meet with the Nuggets tomorrow night or or at any point in the series. Yeah, and of course the other thing also for the Heat is when they're cooking from three, they are. that's the other element to it. Beyond bringing the game to a bit of a crawl, They've got to be hot from three point range, yes. and we saw we saw that on Monday night in Game Seven. Their success equation is cook from downtown and contest as many threes as possible. Now that's where the elevation and the conditioning does come into play. Can you chase and contest as much as you need to in order? to make that type of result possible? That's, I think, a fair question to ask of the Heat. Here's Eric Spolstra today on playing at the altitude. And also, he says, hey, the Nuggets got to come back to Miami. 
A lot of interesting comments there from Spolstra. We'll play them on Everest. They got to come back to Miami and we'll sap the bleep out of their legs. 90 degrees in the air conditioning. I mean, this is a guy who's laying the groundwork that none of these things can be excuses for his team. Do you think he's really going to try for the gamesmanship of uh, turning the AC up? Because you're normally playing about 70, 72 degrees and maybe not 90. Maybe you crank that thing up to about 78, 79 there. Especially in the opposing locker room. Yeah. There's probably a hidden thermostat somewhere. Yeah. You're in South Beach in, in mid to late June. It's going to be pretty hot. Yeah. But the, but the thing is, when I heard that at first, I'm like, okay, you're going you're gonna to have to do something really, really strange. It's kind of comical because you are, you are stepping inside. You're going to put, you're going to, you're not going to have the, the advantage um, that he's talking about, I don't think. And also, don't forget, I mean, the Heat just lost their last two games at home in the Eastern Conference Finals. Great point. They, yeah. I, I had to think about that. Yeah, they lost games four uh-huh. and six at they, home. They won both home games in the first round. They won all three home games in the second round against the Knicks. But they lost two of three in Miami to the Celtics. Yeah. I'll take Denver's home court advantage over Miami's anytime. Yeah, even if it's not quite as high as Mount Everest, it's still significant. He's trying to – that statement, It there's a little bit of, of, of absurdity to it because you do play in climate control down there. I think he's just saying that to uh, maybe do the old Norman Dale thing of saying, okay, it's you know ten feet from the rim to the courts, fifteen feet to the foul line. He's that comment wasn't for the public, even though he said he said at a press conference it wasn't for our consumption. That's a comment for his guys. Mm. He's talking directly to his team. Yes. Uh, preliminary forecast: Looking at Miami next week game. Three will be on Wednesday. We've got a high of ninety-one, a low of seventy-five. And then game uh, four on Friday, high of 85, low of 75. So it's going to be hot, but we're not going to Vegas or Phoenix where it's 120. I bet it was hotter in Phoenix for round two than it is those temperatures I just read. And also, let me say this as somebody who's lived in Florida for over a dozen years of, of his life. Down there, summer is like winter in a, cold, in a colder climate place, okay? Mm. Summer is the season you're just inside and that's it. You're basically, for the most part, only going outside to go to the pool. Other than that, you're retreating the air conditioning. We know Nikola Jokic likes the pool. He has yeah. made several jokes about, what are you doing on your off day? I'm going to the pool. So maybe with a 3-0 lead in Miami on Thursday, he can have a pool day. Yeah, I would not be at all surprised to, to, to see that. I mean, that's basically if you're going outside, you're going to the pool, you're going to the beach, that's it. Here's Jokic today on if the layoff will be an advantage or a disadvantage for the Nuggets. Uh, we're going to see tomorrow. Uh, but yes, we were waiting. We were, we were, but I think we, we, we took a good, uh, good uh, professional uh, approach to the, those eight days, nine days, ten days, whatever it was. Uh, you know, just because it's actually a long break and... Uh, 
you know, I think we did a good job. Uh, we stay in the shape, getting ready, uh, staying sharp, but still get enough rest. I, uh, but about the opponents, we're gonna see tomorrow. Is that true or I'm lying? <laughs> He's the best, man. I think we got enough rest, but we're going to see tomorrow. Is that true or lying? It is that delicate balance that you talked about. Um, you know, baseball is much more of a timing sport If we for the whole Rocktober uh, comparisons between the Nuggets and the Heat. But I do think with this Denver team, there's still a looseness about these guys, especially Mace. I do think it was critical they didn't have to get on an airplane because once Miami's up 3-0, they can go to every press conference they say and, oh, yeah, we're going to figure out who we play. No one in their right mind thought they were figuring out who they were going to play. It was always Miami, Miami, Miami. And then all of a sudden, if the Heat, or excuse me, if the well, if the Heat had collapsed and the Celtics had pulled that off, they would have been on a plane to Boston yesterday. They would have been doing all this media day stuff in the TD Garden today, and they would have gone to play tomorrow night that's where the rest would have made me a little more wary because they had a plan and it totally got discombobulated. Now, the plan was to just be in Denver for 10 days, and that's what they ended up getting to do, and I think they're going to feel very, very comfortable on their home court tomorrow. And then you also would have faced a team in, you know, this, that had momentum. I mean, whether you believe momentum carry, carries over, that's a philosophical debate, but if you had faced Boston, a team that had just come back from the dead, resurrected, having won four in a row, I would not have liked the Nuggets' chances in game one. I think game two, things might have stabilized for them if they'd gone to Boston. But I think game one is one that I might have even written in Sharpie and said that's that's probably going to be an L yeah. in Boston. I feel like if there's any sluggishness, sluggishness against the Heat, it's going to play itself out. In the first half, but again, I came back. Come back to three point percentage. I was actually just looking this up in terms of three point defense. When Miami holds its opponents to to below thirty five percent from three point range in the postseason, they're ten and one. When they don't, they're two and five. Mm, that's, that's some a, good research. That's a number to keep to watch out for. Thirty five percent from three, and thirty five is a good percentage, but it's not like that's shooting the lights out. Like yeah, yeah like. You make 36% of your threes, you, you're 5-2 and two against the Heat this year. I think the Nuggets can very comfortably make 36% of their threes between Jamal Murray, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., KCP, and Bruce Brown. And the other thing is the only two wins the Heat had with an opponent exceeding 35% from three, both were in the first round. Since the first round, that's where, that's where their losses, that's where four of their five losses have come from, when the opponent was cold from three. Okay, and so I, contest and like we saw Monday night contesting those shots. How much do they have in their legs to contest the threes? Though, if they can do that the way they did Monday night, that's that get that that's the Heat's best chance here. I think. Yeah, and, steal and it. not only do they have to hold the Nuggets to a really low percentage, you mentioned it. I talked about it with Jake Shapiro last night too. They got it. They got to shoot the basketball at a, a ridiculous clip. I mean, yeah. they shot fifty percent from three in Game Seven and still only scored one hundred and three points. I heard Dmax say it on the drive. I couldn't agree more. If the Nuggets shoot 50% from three, Mace, series is over. And they're scoring 130. Yeah. I mean, for Miami to shoot that well and only get to 103 is even more evidence why they were the lowest scoring team in the NBA this year. They simply don't have a lot of firepower. Yeah, if the Nuggets are shooting that well from three, 
we're going to see the biggest basketball championship butt-kicking in the Mile High City since UNLV over Duke back in 1990 in the Final Four. That's a throwback. Was that at uh, McNichols? It was, was, at Denver McNich- it was at McNichols. It was, uh, I believe it was a 103-73, to and it wasn't that close. Wow. Yeah. No, I, it, it, that was a whooping. Signs, to me, point toward a blowout not only in game one, but in the series as well. And we even both agree it could be it could be tied at half tomorrow night and the Nuggets could still win by fifteen to twenty points. Like they it's not hard to picture that at all. They come out and have one of those third quarters like they had against Phoenix in game five where they outscore them like thirty seven nineteen. Or fourth quarter against Miami in game or LA in game three. I mean, that's that's the type of thing. The the thing that the Nuggets have shown that I, that makes this team distinct and makes it championship worthy is the ability to overwhelm an opponent. Mm. And that's what makes this Denver team different than the past iterations that have made deep playoff runs is that you get the sense that even if they're struggling, that they can be having a bad night and a two or three minute run can just flip it. I'm glad you said that because there's this cliche, oh, you got to play 48 great minutes. Not if you're the Denver Nuggets. We've seen we've seen plenty of proof in these postseason. Mm-hmm. Play 10 good minutes. Yeah. And like you, I love the word you use, overwhelm an opponent. They erased the deficit in Phoenix, I want to say in game three, when they were down like 20 at the half. Mm-hmm. And they had the lead in the third quarter, like six minutes into the third quarter. And it was such a ridiculous stretch of basketball of how any team is capable of, of erasing an 18, 20-point deficit, whatever it was, and taking the lead. Yeah, they went on to lose that game. But you could argue they only played six good minutes that night, and it took Devin Booker shooting 80% for them to lose. They don't need to play a good 48 minutes. Play good five, six, seven-minute bursts, and they will be NBA champions. Yeah, and if the Heat is sitting there watching the film, that's the thing that gets in the back of their minds. Is And we've seen it, I think, over the postseason – Get into opponents' heads a bit. That you can have, you can have a comfortable margin, but how close are we to the damn bursting and this Denver Nuggets team just burying us? Mm. It feels in most games like that sort of run is an inevitability. Yeah, and, and a little bit of cross sport analogy: the 2013 Broncos had that in them, right? Like, yeah. they, they could have a punt or two, and next thing you know, Peyton Manning's hanging 24 points in a quarter, right? Or or the avalanche last year. You know, it could be 0-0 midway through the second. You look up, and it's 3 nothing. Like, that's what championship teams in Denver's history have done, and I know the 2013 Broncos didn't win a title. They got to a Super Bowl, but they have that ability where they don't have to be great all the time, but out of nowhere, they can flip a switch and hang a ton of points, goals, whatever the metric is on the opponent. Now, inevitably, at some point, there you reach a stage where that you can't do that. For the Broncos, of course, it was the Super Bowl. For the Avalanche, I feel like it was Game 7 against the Kraken this year. Mm. Because you kept waiting, watching that game, you kept waiting for that. Yep. It never came. They but, did tie it 2-2, but they, they were did. offside, which was yeah. really a bummer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the building exploded, right. and then the goal didn't count. Right. But I don't think that's coming from the Nuggets unless we see injuries. Because here's the other thing. like You mentioned the Broncos for the cross-sport analysis. That defense was so battered by the time they got to Super Bowl, the Super Bowl 48 that 
the team was actually much more fragile than I think people around here were willing to admit. Mm -hmm. And thus, they became the victim of that kind of overwhelming run. They didn't have an answer. And so this team, on the other hand, it's in good health. The rest, I think, will help the Nuggets as you get further in the series. I think they're going to have stronger legs over the course of a series, and that's where the Heat's advantage is in Game 1. They have to win Game 1, I think, to have a shot. Yeah, my, Miami can only run on adrenaline for so long. Right. If they don't get Game 1, I think this could be Nuggets in 4. It could be a sweep. Uh, you mentioned the, the defense in Super Bowl Forty Eight. Uh, trivia question. I, mean, I know you know the answer, but this will refresh a lot of people. The Broncos started Paris Lennon and Jeremy Mincy that day. Yeah. That shows you how depleted that defense was. Our guy Derek Wolf, sideline. Von Miller, sideline. Chris Harris Jr., sideline. It was just not the same defense, and they hadn't added Ware, Ward, and Tlaib quite yet. Yeah. So it's just a whole different group than the one that won 52 years later. It was. And, uh, I mean, you credit John Elway for standing pat and uh, or not standing pat and making the moves that he made uh, that that off season. But you looked you looked around that defense. Shane Bailey played that game, but he was basically playing on one foot. Yeah. Um, remember Raheem Moore actually had a good season in 2013, but he too was injured as well. You looked around; and it was like I mean, you mentioned Paris Lennon. Yeah, it's like who are these guys? With all due respect to Paris Lennon, who are these guys? The Nuggets don't have that problem. Fortunately, the fun gets going. Tomorrow night at Ball Arena, literally in about 24 hours. Coming up next, though, two pieces of Broncos news today, and they finally found a new kicker. Denver Broncos will get back out there for OTAs tomorrow. Their second one that will be open to the media. We'll hear from head coach Sean Payton after practice wraps up. He was uh, nice and brief last week, Andrew Mason. You expecting the same tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. Because he had been a chatty Cathy at every other presser, and now that we're in football... He's not chatty, Kathy. Well, and the other thing also, I think Sean Payton, his style is that if you ask him kind of more broad-based philosophical questions, he'll give you a pretty expansive answer. There's some Bill Belichick in Sean Payton in terms of how he answers questions. Interesting. And so it's just kind of getting the right query to him. But we had what? 40 minutes of the combine where he told the PR guy, like, no, I'll tell you when I'm done. Yeah. We had the pre-draft Zoom that went on for like an hour, and he blamed everyone, and then he was the one giving the long-winded answers. And he gave a lot of, and he gave some lengthy answers at the owners' meetings in Phoenix as well. There you back go. In, you were there. Back in March. Um, and then last yeah. Thursday was, what, four minutes? Yeah. Yeah. But he basically, he, he, he kind of cut off and said, look, we got five minutes here, and the players had to go, had to go lift. And so he basically put it into a very kind of compressed time frames that we're going to get this done and that's it. All right. So, so you got to make the questions count. That's another thing. Like we were talking about um, last week, a few of us in the media, like, all right, if we're going to, you know, if, if we're going to be able to kind of disseminate some of the stuff in OTAs, I think you got to ask about things that happened. Interesting. Right. To get, to get the best answers. Well, tomorrow yeah. when you are out there, Mace, yeah. you will see a new kicker as the Denver Broncos have signed Elliot Fry today, man, Fry has been around the block. His 11th different team since jumping to the NFL, uh, following a 2019 spring stint with the Orlando Apollos. Uh, 11 teams in four years, that's hard to do, Mace. That's 
actually a little bit more than Josh Johnson in the same type of time frame. Who, of course, was the backup quarterback yeah. who had to play in the NFC title game, yeah. got hurt. Johnson has more over the course of his career, but he goes back to you know the late 2000s. I mean, Elliot Fry has only been kicking around in the NFL for a little over, for about four years now, just a little over four years when the Bears brought him in from the Apollos in that league, the Alliance of American Football, which basically didn't even make it through one year. That was the only time as a pro that Elliot Fry has been the clear number one kicker. And when he was with the Bears or when he was with the, the Apollos? With the Bears, he was in a competition with Eddie Pinheiro. Okay. Lost the competition. Pinheiro won the job. And then in week two in Denver, won the game for the Bears at the last second against the Vic Fangio led Broncos. So give us the cliff notes on Elliot Fry. Like, how can this dude okay. play the, on this different many teams and still be in the league and not have not have stuck anywhere? And I think the bigger question, Mace, because when I first saw this today, I mean, his resume is not lengthy. He's kicked something like, what, six or seven mm-hmm. NFL field goals? I mean, is, is Elliot Fry the Denver Broncos kicker week one? Or do you expect more competition throughout the summer, specifically at training camp? Okay, for kickers, the competition isn't necessarily in your building. Hmm. All right, let's go back to 2014, and that was the year when Matt Prater was facing a suspension. So the Broncos did take a look at a couple of kickers in camp. Brandon McManus was... Elsewhere, I believe he was with the New York Giants. Okay. He was, or maybe the Colts, but he, the first two years of Brandon McManus's career, he was in camp with the Colts and the Giants. He was on his second go-around. He wasn't going to make the team, but the Broncos looked at him, saw potential, and traded for him rather than seeing if he would, if they could claim him off waivers because they had the number 31 waiver claim spot. They didn't think that McManus would fall to them. So they went ahead and made and, and made the move to trade for him and bring him in. So effectively, what that shows is if you are a kicker, even if there's not another kicker in the building, the competition is every other kicker who is available, whether you're talking about veterans like, as of right now, Robbie Gold, Mason Crosby, Ryan Suckup, mm-hmm. guys who have not been signed. Those are all names fans know, though. Right. Because if you played fantasy football, you've had one of those three on your team at some point or another. Exactly. But maybe more relevantly, especially because the cap number is part of the reason why the Broncos moved on from Brandon McManus. He was top top six in kicker salary, wasn't top six in performance. That's just how the you know the, the raw nature of how it works. If you're looking for a younger kicker, they're going to be competing for jobs. There are some teams that have kicker competitions. Actually, the thing with Elliot Fry is uh, he, until May 15th, was one of two kickers on the Arizona Cardinals roster. He was going to compete with Matt Prater, who'd been re-signed. In oh, that's full circle. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, with where we started the, this and the where Card- we are now. Yeah, the Cardinals brought in another punter, Matt Hock, and uh, they cut Elliot Fry, making him available for the Broncos. But that's the thing. The Broncos may not bring in another kicker even into training camp. But that doesn't mean that Elliot Fry is not in a competitive situation. It's just that his competition 
is all the guys who are battling for jobs elsewhere who may not stick. And so it's possible that if the Broncos don't see enough in Elliott Fry, but like what another kicker is doing, that George Payton picks up the phone, sends a late-round draft pick to a team for that kicker who would be waived anyway. I mean, you look, for example, at the Jaguars last week when they signed Brandon McManus and Riley Patterson became expendable, the Detroit Lions stepped right in and said, we're going to trade for him rather than see him go to waivers. If he'd gone to waivers, I think there's a decent chance that Riley Patterson would have been a Denver Bronco right now, but the Lions jumped in and made that deal. Well, it's really interesting, too, you bring this up, because this has got to be the only position in the NFL, maybe maybe punter, maybe long snapper, where these coaches who are so type A don't have to see guys with their own eyes in their own camp to be willing to give them a job because kicking is pretty straightforward. Can you put the ball through the uprights or not? They would never, ever, ever, you know, just hand a, a backup quarterback a job without wanting to see him first or extensively studying the game tape of him somewhere else, whereas kicker is just like, well, if you're one or two and you're the odd man out and say, I don't know, pick an NFL city. Uh, the Houston Texans, we'll just go ahead and grab you up because we watched your tape. And the other thing also is you trust the guidance of your special teams coaches. The specialist area of the NFL, kicker, punter, long snapper, special teams coaches, coordinators, and the assistant special teams coaches, that is probably the most close-knit league-wide fraternity that there is. They all know each other. Yes, And Brian McManus even mentioned this yesterday when he was meeting with media in Jacksonville that he makes point of going and talking to the other special teams coaches before every game. Never know when you're going to need a job. Right, just to have the first contact. But that is a very small world. That is a very self-contained world. Everybody knows everybody. And because of that, Ben Katwika, Broncos special teams coordinator, Mike Westhoff, the assistant head coach, who has an extensive special teams background, they will have their eyes peeled around the league. And if Elliot Fry isn't doing what the Broncos hope he can do, I mean, basically, Elliot Fry gets the first crack here. Right? Yeah. If they don't like what they see, they've got their eyes peeled for others who could be out there to fill that role. All right, I like the way you put it there, Elliot Fry, first crack. Uh, real quick, just because I did mention it, I want to pass along that they brought in this Tommy Hudson at tight end. Can you give us... Any insight on Tommy Hudson? The 255-pounder Arizona State product was with the Titans on and off for the last three seasons. He was on their practice squad. It's been rough for him about the last 18, about 18, 20 months or so because in 2021, which was his second year in the league, he hurt, he hurt his ankle during the season after, after playing three games. He went on IR, came back, went on IR again. Last year during OTAs was carted off the field with a leg injury. It ended up with him getting an injury settlement from the Titans and not being brought back. The Broncos brought him in for a tryout during rookie minicamp earlier this month. If he's healthy, he's somebody who could factor as a potential blocking tight end with some pass catching ability as well but the key the, the key thing for him is to stay healthy he looked like he was on track to at least be part of the Titans tight end rotation and that's a team that 
you, know, you got to block to, to flourish there as a tight end. Of course, so he's yeah. got some blocking ability. It looked like he was on track to be part of the rotation there. Then he had the, the first ankle injury that kind of set him back. So you get a look at him, see where he is health-wise. There's a path for him to the roster, but it probably involves an injury to one of the tight ends in front of him. But you want to just get a look and see. And I think the Broncos thought they needed another tight end to get through their practices here. You can read both those stories that Mace wrote today at denversports.com. Coming up next, well, get your brunch plans ready because the huge game between CU and Nebraska, we now know the kickoff time. All right, Mace, we're going to have to get those bacon and eggs, pancakes, toast, waffles, orange juice, Maybe orange juice with a little extra to it. Whatever floats your boat, we're going to have to get those fired up for Saturday, September 9th against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. A massive game for Coach Prime and the Buffs as the biggest rival comes to Boulder. We find out today, Mace, the good and the bad news. You want the good or you want the bad? Let's start with the good. Let's, Let's start out on a high. For the second week in a row... The CU Buffs get the premier big noon kickoff on Fox with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on the call. The game the country will be watching when they wake up Saturday morning. And let me guess, the bad news involves the fact that noon refers to Eastern time? Correct. A 10 a.m. kickoff at Folsom Field. That's brutal. You know, if I were ever president of this country, I would issue an executive order banning Local time kickoffs before noon. You would get my, I, you would get my vote, sir. Could I do that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's running on a platform that no football game shall ever kick off before noon. And students, I mean, students getting out of bed. More importantly, alumni, people from all over the state getting up to Boulder for a 10 a.m. kick. 11 a.m. kickoffs are bad enough. And I've gone to a few of those in the Central Times and over the years. I know you have yep. as well. Those are brutal. 10? A 10, 10 a.m. kick. So, you, again, you get the big TV slot, which I know Prime likes the exposure. And even the week before, so I'll go through this real quick. So we learned uh, about 15 days ago that they got the, the 11 a.m. kick in Dallas, 10 a.m. kick here against TCU week one. Then they get a 10 a.m. kick on Fox uh, week two against Nebraska. And then May, September 16th against CSU, Right. You get the ESPN slot, which is great. You're kicking at 8 p.m. So you're getting the other extreme of, hey, kids, make sure you're monitoring your tailgating all day because you're going to be out there for a long, long time before the football starts. Can we get just a nice 1.30 kickoff every once in a while? Oh, no, because I've got more for you, Mace. (laughs) October 13th versus Stanford was announced today as well. That's on ESPN. That's an 8 p.m. kickoff. And the only other one we know, we now know five, November 17th at Washington State. So it doesn't affect uh, fans tailgating unless you're traveling up to, uh, uh, where is Washington State? Which one's that in? Beautiful Pullman, Washington. Pullman. Right there in the Palouse. Thank you. But Mace? It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. We're not even getting eight in Pullman. 8.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. On a Friday night. Yeah, good call. So we now know five kickoffs. Uh, the Like, the USC is still TBD. That's obviously a huge game. Top 10 team coming into Boulder at the end of September. But, base the five kickoffs we know, four of them revealed today. 10 a.m., 10 a.m., 8 p.m., 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m. The English have a saying for this sort of thing. They call it daft o'clock. What does that mean? Just 
daft is another way of saying it's something is something that is comically ridiculous. Okay, makes no sense. Yeah, that's what a ten a.m. local start time is. Three six daft o'clock. Three six nine seven chimes in on the Ramoslaw.com text line three zero three seven one three one zero four three. Says I get up and I'm ready to party at seven thirty a.m. on college football Saturdays. Come on now. All right, man, good for you. Hey, I'm glad you're a morning person. Yeah, I'm just saying. Some of us are about the Friday nights more than the Saturday mornings. There's going to be, <laughs> in all practical purposes, Mace, there will be a little less energy in that building. There just will. That's just yeah. how humans function, and that's a game where the tickets are going for 400 bucks minimum. We're seeing all the prices. It's CU Nebraska. It's Prime's first home game, and the energy would be a heck of a lot better if that was early afternoon, mid-afternoon, or a night game. It there just are, would. There are probably some business owners on Pearl Street that are not happy with this because it will probably cut into your Friday night profits. If the if Buffs win, it may home. help the Saturday night profits. It may, yes. Because then the game will be over. I mean, college football games take four hours, but game will be over by one thirty-two. Well, they might be quicker this year because they've changed the timing rules. Okay, I didn't know that. In terms of uh, how long they stopped the clock. Well, the party for the last few minutes of the game. The party in Boulder will rage all night and all evening if they pull that off. Yeah. No one will be complaining about the 10 a.m. kick after that. They might be like, more 10 a.m. kick. Kicks. You can read about this at denversports.com. Again, we now know five of the kickoff times for Coach Prime's first season in Boulder. All right, it was fun. And tomorrow night, it's game one. NBA Finals in Denver. For KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan.